suited me. First time I stood behind this pulpit, I was 35 years old. <laughs> that seems like a long time ago in one sense, but it does seem like just yesterday. I did a little calculation. This is my 201st sermon here at Oak Ridge. And, you know, I've, we've learned together. We've laughed together. We have loved together through good times and difficult times and hopefully certainly grown as a result. And uh, thank you very much, Jim, for those kind words. And uh, that wasn't necessary, but uh, this isn't goodbye, but it's goodbye for now. Um, and maybe we'll have opportunity from time to time to come back. And uh, for me, that's a sad thing because I still consider Oak Ridge home in my heart, right? Whenever I come back here, I'm coming home, not because my mom and dad are still here, um, but many other friends are here, people I've known for a very long time. My kids who are all adults now, um, they form friendships here that now as adults they still maintain. And I still enjoy being around those that were once little kids running around this place 21 years ago. And so it is, uh, it is a sense of coming home and I certainly have enjoyed coming here as a, as a stop on the road which kind of keeps me going about 35, 40 Sundays a year at various places. And we'll continue to do that. And as opportunity, it, it changes. Doing what I do, it changes. And it's a good thing that I'm not needed in a lot of places. It's a good thing because it means they have found somebody who's there on a full-time basis, who uh, God has called and who God is using to bless. And that's certainly what's happening here at Oak Ridge. That's definitely my perception as somebody dropping in, that God is blessing uh, Chris and, and Andrew and the, and the leadership team here. And there's a lot of great stuff going on. And so I will continue to pray for you. And I ask that you will continue to pray for me. And so we engage today on this 201st sermon, and the last one probably for a while. And I do realize, in light of our topic, that um, sometimes in some of those 200-odd sermons, there was too much of Dale and not enough of the Lord. And it's so easy for pride to creep in, and that's what it is. And, and in light of our topic, I recognize it. And I've confessed that and, and ask your forgiveness for those times. But... Every Sunday, wherever I go, and certainly here, my prayer always is that, Lord, you would give us something that will draw us closer to you and closer to one another. And if that has happened in some measure over these 21 years, then uh, it's been good for us to be together. And I know that is the conclusion for me. It's been good for me to be a part of the Oak Ridge family. And uh, thank you so much for those kind words and for the opportunity today. Okay. The book of Jonah. When we think of the book of Jonah, what comes to your mind? That's <laughs> Thank you. He wasn't a plant. Right, we all think of a whale or a big fish, and we go back to our Sunday school days. We go back to, you know, mom or dad reading us from that little Bible story book about Jonah and the big fish and how Jonah was swallowed by the big fish. And it's a, it's a fascinating piece of history. You see, some question it. When you read Jonah, they say, oh, it's just a fable. You're just trying to make a point here. No, there wasn't any real fish that swallowed this guy up. Come on, it's a story. It's a fable. It's a, it's a, you know, sort of a, a literary device used, an allegory, whatever, to, to make a point. But it really didn't happen, friends. All I need, just we're going to get this out of the way before we get started today. All I need is the fact that in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 40, the Lord Jesus Christ quotes this piece of history. Right, So the one who is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the one who has no beginning and has no end, says, 
Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will give it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, whale, huge fish, whatever, right? So the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus quoted this history. So no, this isn't out. This isn't fable. This isn't make-believe story. This isn't an illustration. This, this happened, and we're going to get into a bit of that this morning. But before we do, um, who is the author and who is the date? Uh, who is the author of the book of Jonah and, and when was it written? The answer to both those questions, the scholars really don't know. And most conclude that Jonah, who it's named after, is likely the author, but there's no sort of internal evidence of that, and the date is hard to nail down. So we really don't have direct answers to those questions. The theme of this prophecy, though, and something that I have really um, appreciated, maybe for the first time to the degree that I have this week in preparing this message, is that the theme of this prophecy, yes, it is about Jonah and the fish, and the big fish, Right, But it's so much more about what that really represents and what that means. Because the theme of this prophecy is the incredible, patient, loving compassion that God has for all people. We're going to mention the fish. You can't read it without talking about the fish. But it's going to be a little bit. Because this book is full of God's compassion. And this morning on this Thanksgiving weekend, what are you thankful for? What am I thankful for? I'll tell you, after this week's study, I am so thankful for the loving compassion of my heavenly father let's read jonah chapter one just to set the context of our message this morning john uh, jonah (laughs) jonah chapter one the word of the lord came to jonah son of amatea go to the great city of nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me but jonah ran away from the lord and headed for tarshish He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the ferry, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we won't perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work uh, do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, well, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Lord will bless to us the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray and ask his blessing. Father, we do thank you for bringing us together today. We thank you for Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. We thank you for uh, using this group of people to shine brightly in this community. And we continue to pray that as your word goes forth today, that it will be used as a great light to penetrate each of our hearts. Father, we look to you to pray uh, and ask that you would give us what it is we need this day. And again, it's our desire to go closer to you, to grow closer to one another. And as we uh, turn to you, we ask for your blessing and your help now. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The theme of this prophecy is the incredible, patient, loving compassion that God has for all people. In the prophecy of Jonah, God's compassion is demonstrated to the sailors, first of all. It's demonstrated to the prophet. And thirdly, it's demonstrated to the Ninevites. Notice that in... Uh, Chapter 1, verse 15, God's compassion is demonstrated to the sailors. In this verse, we read that God's compassion calmed the raging sea, therefore saving the lives of these sailors. After they did what they, you know, didn't really want to do, they throw Jonah overboard in verse 15, and the raging sea grew calm. And the raging sea grew calm. God demonstrated great compassion to these sailors. And I wonder if you're here this morning and sort of the waves of life are crashing down on you. That is often an analogy used to describe the weight, the burden that life can be at times of our lives. Are you here this morning feeling those, you know, cresting waves sort of crushing down on top of you? That's a, that's a tough place to be in. And we all know to varying degrees what that means. And, and regardless of where I am on a Sunday morning, there are people who are struggling with you know, family issues, child issues, health issues, financial issues, employment issues, marriage issues, whatever it might be. That's the reality of this world, and the burden of that can be a tremendous burden and a tremendous weight to bear. Being, you know, in that position is, is a difficult place to be. And that's where those sailors were physically. As the storm raged, as the storm raged, they were in that position of tremendous stress and complication. And yet the Lord demonstrated great compassion to them. You see, there's only one who can calm the storm, friends, and that one is Jesus Christ. We were uh, down in uh, Cape Cod this summer for a week. We rented a beach house in Harwich Port. For those that know Cape Cod, I first time there, loved it. We had a great time as a family. We all kind of came together, two little grandkids and everything. We had a great time. We were a five-minute walk to the little town, which was a beautiful spot. And in this uh, town, there were um, uh, art galleries where artists sort of, you know, displayed their uh, their work. And it was for sale. And it was kind of interesting to kind of see being the head of the arts department as well as the phys ed department. It's important I expand my horizons every chance I had. So Sue would say, hey, let's let's go in and see the art. Okay, let's go in and see the art. And I am just was blown away by the skill level of these people. It's very impressive to me because I have none of it, right? I walked into this one art gallery, and as I walked in, on the back kind of wall was were these two pictures that looked identical. And they were of a crazy storm, you know, dark, dark sky, and a huge wave that was just cresting, ready to crush whoever was underneath it, right? 
And as I got closer, like they were, they were identical. And then I walked closer and I walked closer and I walked closer and I realized one was a photograph and one was a painting. And as I walked to the back, there in the back, there she was. There was the artist working on another portrait, another masterpiece. Have you ever seen people who, you know, this was an oil painting, work? I mean, she had this palette in front of her and she would dab the brush, you know, in white. And she would look at this massive canvas and she would go, you know, and then she'd stand back and look. I said, hey, do you mind if people watch you work for a couple minutes? No, not at all. So as she was working, I said, you know, I'm, I'm truly impressed. I mean, the work is amazing that's in this gallery of yours. And, and that painting of the wave, like it looks so real. I said, is that an, is that an insult that it kind of looks like a picture, a photograph? I gotta be careful, right? You don't want to insult people. She says, saying that from a distance is a tremendous compliment. She says, my husband's a photographer. We share this business. He does photographs and I paint pictures. From a distance, you saying my painting looked exactly like his picture is a great compliment. But if you said that standing right in front of it, I'd be a little upset with you because you can see those little brush strokes that took me weeks and weeks and months to do that picture, right? But as I looked at that picture, it represented what was happening in this story and what was what's happening sometimes in our lives, right? The waves are just kind of crushing in on top of us. And friend, there's only one who can calm the storm. And that person is the loving Heavenly Father, God of great compassion. Secondly, notice that God's compassion was demonstrated to the prophet himself. In verse 17, we read, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In the provision of the huge fish, God's compassion is found in this unique place of safety and refuge. Again, maybe this morning you feel like you're in a free fall. The God of all compassion wants to provide you with a place of refuge. I don't know how you think about the big fish swallowing up. I think kids kind of first, though, that's a bit, you know, God wasn't happy with Jonah. He got gobbled up by some fish, right? We think of some great white shark or something like that. And the image isn't too good. <laughs> by the way, there was no surfing by my son down in Cape Cod. If you saw the Discovery Channel, that's not just to make TV interesting. There are great white sharks everywhere, according to the guy we went out fishing with one day. <laughs> Right, we we kind of think of Jonah being swallowed up by this fish as part. No, it was a place of refuge. These guys had to throw him overboard, and instead of drowning, he's in there. You can imagine that horrible thing being caught up in all that horrible storm and all the waves and all that water crushing in on him. And the Lord provided this unique place of refuge inside the fish. And sometimes the place of refuge is the least expected place of refuge that we could come up with. Right? Who would have thought, who would have thought a fish would have come along and gobbled him up and kind of looked after him for three days and three nights? Have there been times in your life where you've been in a tremendously stressful situation and relief came from somewhere you just kind of shocked you and blew you away? Just keeping that storm theme going years ago, because my kids were very little, we were in South Carolina and... I decided to be, you know, a helpful parent and father and husband. So I took the kids, 
mini-golfing, and Sue needed a little downtime, right, from all the chaos. So we're playing mini-golf, and I kind of see the sky getting a little dark. And then it got really dark. And then it started to spit rain. And all of a sudden, I kind of heard sirens starting to go off. Right? And a storm was moving in, a complete surprise storm to the point where they evacuated all the hotels and all the condos, getting people out of them and down into safety. And there I am, and we come to the 18th hole. Oh, we're going to finish playing golf. Don't worry. <laughs> Kids, I know it's a little wet out here, but let me te- I'm going to teach you a lesson. No. So we come to the 18th hole. The 18th hole finished in a cave, right? And so we finished the 18th hole. And then as we got in this little cave, we were sheltered from the storm. And there was a little window. The rain was coming in sideways. And as I looked out, I saw billboards. I saw telephone poles, you know, like literally sideways. As this tremendous storm whacked the coast. When we finally got out of there, there was two feet of water. I mean, what we've seen on the news recently, I've never, you know, we pray for those people. This is the closest I've come to it. But in 50 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, whatever it was, pulling out of that parking lot eventually, I was going through two and three feet of water. That's how fast and how much water came in here. And I'm sitting in this cave with these little kids. You know, what do I got here to comfort them? I'm maybe not the most comforting guy in the world, you know? I need some help here, Lord. And people who I've never saw before, in other words, I never saw them in front of us, this man and his two daughters came running back into the cave. They didn't want to kind of head to the end line. They they thought, well, safety's better coming back. So they came back to the cave. And they were the girls were like 18 years old. And they were wearing... T-shirts from a Christian camp. And I couldn't believe what took place as they just came back and embraced my kids. Started singing camp songs to them. Started singing about Jesus to them. And I'm talking to the father and I say, man, I, I can't believe you, you came when you did because I was getting a little, you know, not quite sure how to handle this because... That's what mom's for. Dad doesn't do a good job of this stuff, you know? And it was the most comforting time. There was a hurricane going on. And there I was inside this cave with this man and his two wonderful daughters. They're singing camp songs and talking to my kids about Jesus. (laughs) Ah, boy, you couldn't predict it, right? Sometimes you just never know where it's going to come from, but... Friends, if you are in the free fall like, and feel like you're in the free fall like Jonah was when he was thrown overboard, there's only one God of compassion who can provide a place of refuge if you turn to him. Notice thirdly that the Lord demonstrated compassion to the Ninevites. When we come to verse 10 of chapter 3, we read that when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. We read in this verse that God relented and did not bring on the Ninevites the destruction he had threatened. God is a God of love and compassion 
full of grace and mercy. He is holy. He is righteous. And because of that, he must punish sin. We know that. But along with that is God's character of love and compassion and kindness. And as we transition now to another significant parallel theme of this book, notice what we read before discovering that God relented. Same verse, chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. You see that? We're told that the Ninevites turned from their evil ways. In other words, they repented of their sin. You see, when the people repent, the good Lord is compassionately quick to relent. When the people repent, God loves to relent. You get it? I'm going to remember that for a long time. Jeremiah says the exact same thing. In chapter 18, he says this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah says. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as the potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation, I warn, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. When we repent, friends, the Lord lovingly, compassionately relents. Do you need to repent today? Do you need to change direction? Another illustration from the Word file. I'm not going to be back for a long time. So you're going to get some. No, I'm kidding. This summer, I just remember this. People say, "Where do you get this stuff?" I don't know. I just remember this stuff for some reason. My son and I were up north with our families earlier this summer, and we were fishing on a lake we'd never been on before. And because of the way I fish, you know, old-style fishing is... I don't do good at that. So I need to be moving around. So we go and we kind of think there's got to be a fish over there. So let's take the boat over there. Let's make a few casts. Didn't get a fish in 30 seconds. I think there's got to be a fish over there. So we buzz around, right? And you know where this is going. Eventually, I guess we better get back. Do you remember where back is? See, my parents' cottage, for 45 years of my life, I could be on any part of that lake and instantly know where I am. I had no idea where we were. He's smarter than me. Hey, son, where are we? How do we go back? I don't know, Dad. I'm pretty sure I take over. I'm pretty sure that we kind of went there, 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 and here. So I think if we go back up this channel, we're going to see something pretty familiar when we get around that island up there. So, up we go. Fifteen minutes later, we hit the island. Yeah, don't recognize anything here. <laughs> We're lost, son. 
I was so grateful. You're going to be surprised you're going to say this. You know where I'm going, right? I was so grateful he pulled out a cell phone. <laughs> uh, he was able to call his dear wife and say, give me the address of the cottage. All right. Oh, guess what? We were going in the absolutely wrong direction. We had to change direction. Do you need to change direction today? Does your life need a directional change? Do you need to repent? Are you lost? If so, like the wayward son in John 15, turn for home and be welcomed by the loving arms of your compassionate Heavenly Father. This is a book about God's compassion. Not just to Jonah, to a bunch of people. And that same compassion is extended to each one of you this morning. When we eventually got going in the right direction and we eventually turned around the right island, <laughs> there was a seaplane I knew was right near the cottage we were staying at. And we turned a corner and I saw that seaplane. We're home. We're home. Friend, there's nothing like being lost and being found. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Do you need to repent of your sin this morning? Do you need to come home to your loving Heavenly Father? As a holy judge, He, he, needs, he needs to punish sin. But He's a God of compassion and love, and when we repent... Guess what? He relents. And he opens up his arms and he embraces us and brings us home to him. This is the other important theme in this book that I, I, I didn't really see for what it is until this week. Notice that along with the theme of God's compassion in the book of Jonah, we also find the theme of people prayerfully humbling themselves before God. This is an amazing connection between last week and this. When I was originally signed Obadiah and Jonah, I don't necessarily think of them being connected. and I'm, But they are. They're back to back. Two of the shortest books in the Bible, back to back, and they're related. Remember what we talked about last week. Obadiah had to bring a message against the people who were, who were proud, who were boastful. And in 1 Peter 5, 5, we read that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Each of the people or groups of people that received God's compassion in the book of Jonah also humbled themselves before God. Let's go through the three groups again. Notice the humility of the sailors. Chapter 1, verses 13 to 16, Instead the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out, to the Lord. Then they cried out to the Lord. Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows to him. 
You see, the sailors, the tough, sea-weathered sailors, humbled themselves and they cried to the Lord and He compassionately saved them. Notice the humility, secondly, of the prophet. We come to this tremendous prayer of Jonah after he's swallowed up by the great fish. Chapter 2 says, From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. I called to the Lord. Remember who he originally was running from. He was running from the Lord. Are you running from the Lord this morning? Maybe he's, maybe he's, you know, he's got something for you to do. He needs, he needs you to, you know, come back to him. Jonah originally was running, but now he's, he's humbling himself before God. In my distress, I called the Lord and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. This is while he's inside the fish. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. They deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. You know, we're getting a little graphic description of what Jonah's experience was here. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath bared me, uh, barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord... And my prayer rose to your holy temple. Do you need to remember the Lord this morning? Do you need to remember the Lord this morning? Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah humbly prayed to the Lord and confessed that salvation comes from the Lord. Soon after, God compassionately saved Jonah. And I won't get graphic, but verse 10 tells you how he ends up on the beach. <laughs> you see, when we... God, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The sailors humbled themselves and experienced God's compassion. Jonah humbled himself and experienced God's compassion. And in that prayer, Jonah says this amazing statement, salvation comes from the Lord. Friends, salvation only comes from the Lord. Because of our sin, we all deserve to be held accountable by the most holy God. But if we humble ourselves before Him, He desires to forgive us and to save us. Maybe you need to come home today. Maybe you need to come to the foot of the cross and recognize that there and only there is where we can find salvation. You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. And knowing that, God sent His own Son to die on the cross for your sin and for mine. And when we humble ourselves before Him, when we repent of our sin, and by faith embrace Christ as our Savior and the Lord, friends, we will experience the compassion, the loving compassion of our holy God. And we will be, what? Saved. 
Are you here this morning saved? Or are you swirling around in the storm? I came across the a story that involves Gary Carter, who was a, a baseball player. And again, you don't need to know anything about baseball to understand what this story is about. But um, Gary Carter was accepted into Major League's Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, on July 27, 2003. So Gary Carter was a professional baseball player, Montreal Expos, New York Mets, some other teams. Was a great uh, catcher. It's not important what position he played, but he's a great player. And he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame on July 22, 2003. And this is what Carter said. I want to take the time to thank the most important people in my life. Above all, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A great verse that spoke to me while I was writing my speech and kind of explains what it's all about comes from Psalm 118. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the strength of my salvation, and my stronghold. I will call on the Lord who is worthy of praise. He went on to say, I praise the Lord my God, my best friend, for giving me the ability, the desire, the love, and the guidance that has brought me here today. Without you, I would be nothing. That was part of an acceptance speech into the Baseball Hall of Fame. You know what? I went and looked up that speech. Sometimes you got to check the sources. And so I Googled and went to YouTube and all that stuff, and I came across Gary Carter's acceptance speech. And I watched all 15 minutes of it. Never said it. (laughs) Then I went back, and I looked again. Oh, you see, there's another version of his acceptance speech. And he said it. (laughs) Somebody felt in the first one, we need to make it a little shorter. So what are we going to edit? We're going to edit the part about his Christianity and his faith. When to you and to me, that was the most important thing he said that day. You see, he thanked the Lord. He thanked the God. He, He thanked the one from whom his salvation came. Oh yeah, baseball and baseball stats and all that. That's all great. Gary Carter said, hey, without the Lord, I am nothing. And I thank him for his salvation. And I praise him as my friend and as the one who saved me. Wow, good for you. Gary Carter died of a brain tumor. Five years after that, at the age of 57. You see, friends, the most important part in probably this book of Jonah is what Jonah says, salvation comes from the Lord. The most important thing Gary Carter said was, salvation comes from the Lord. There's people that want to take that out and give us options. There are no options. Come to him and come to him today. Notice the humility of the sailors and God's compassion. The humility of the prophet and God's compassion. And thirdly, notice the humility of the Ninevites. For the sake of time, chapter 3, we read that the Ninevites who Jonah was sent to speak out against with respect to God judging them. In verse 5 of chapter 3, we read, the Ninevites believed God. 
A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. The Ninevites believed God and humbled themselves. They repented, and God compassionately relented. (laughs) Friends, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In order for us to receive God's gracious compassion in our lives, we need to humble ourselves before him. And as we learned last week, pride takes us away from God, but humility draws us ever, ever closer to him. This is written and shared by Jane Merrip in a book entitled Feeding His Lambs, or an article entitled Feeding His Lambs Christianity Today in 2008. By the time of his 22nd arrest, following a dramatic chase through Miami that involved many police cars and much shooting, John Sala had reached the end of the line. Guilty of the attempted murder of a policeman, aggravated assault, and grand theft, he was headed to jail, and headed to jail for a long time. But jail of all places turned out to be his saving grace. Of all places. Who would have guessed what would happen to this guy in jail, right? Fish, whatever, right? It's interesting, isn't it? Sent to prison in Avon Park, Florida, John eventually met chaplain Warren B. Wall, who shared the good news of the gospel. John dove right in, accepted Christ, and immersed himself in every opportunity for Christian growth. Assigned to the tape ministry of the chapel, he listened to Bible teachers while organizing and labeling tapes. The chaplain found someone willing to underwrite a seminary correspondence course for John, who became a passionate, disciplined student of the Bible. God was birthing something new in me, he says today. Before I, before, I wanted to take... But now I just wanted to give love and courage and nurture. John also found his musical voice in prison and performed with the prison choir and local churches, singing solos and giving his testimony. After serving his time, John walked out of prison in 1983, a freer man than he ever was before. I'm not coming back, he declared. Not knowing that in time, he would indeed be back, but not as an inmate. After his release, John went to, on to form All Things New, a ministry to prison inmates and their families. Years later, after he married his wife Elaine, the ministry developed beyond their wildest imagination. John and Eileen changed their ministry title to Little Lambs, Inc., with the mission of loving inmates into the ministry's family and ultimately into the family of God. Through in-depth Bible correspondence courses, visitation, counseling, services, concerts, and classes, the Salads began with approximately 100 students in 1998. Today, and this is 2008, they have 2,750 students and graduate about 250 a year. Little Lambs offers inmates a family connection to help satisfy the need for belonging and being cared for as a lamb that has gone astray, the Salas say. John's book, I'm Not Coming Back, is now in the hands of thousands of prisoners who identify with him. John knows their mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual pain. And though he may not have seen himself as a shepherd to this unlikely flock, It was God's plan, nonetheless, God's plan of compassion. His book has since been translated into Spanish, as have all the Bible correspondence courses, by an inmate, a professional translator, who came to faith in Christ while in prison. The book is also now being translated into Russian. There's no question that John and Elaine Saylor have certainly introduced many men and women, all little lambs in training, face-to-face with a shepherd who has loved them all along. Thank God this morning, thank God this weekend for our compassionate God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being with us today. 
We thank you for your great love, your grace, your mercy. And Father, on this Thanksgiving weekend, we pause to thank you for your great compassion. And Father, as we now part and go our separate ways, we just pray that you'll go with us. We ask that you'd bless each couple, each family, each individual that's represented here at Oak Ridge. Continue to use this church to shine brightly in this community. And Father, we pray a special blessing on it, thanking you for all that you've done and for your great love. Father, we just commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.